Hey everyone, and uh, welcome to the Clear Cash Podcast. This is Julian, and as always, I'm here with Nick. What's up, man? But this week, it's not the true Nick. It is host Nick. Uh-oh. Danger, danger, <laughs> systems fail. I'm a robot. Come on. I didn't program for you for that. It's a dead giveaway. Sorry. Windows update needed. Four, four <laughs> hours remaining. So, uh, well... I want to ask you something. So last week, one of the things we talked about on the pod was uh, which game developer you wanted to hit hit the bleeds with, mm-hmm. and uh, brought up a lot of feelings and memories from those from those days. Uh, as you mm. would put it, I think you would say storage locker days. Yeah, um, casual bleed spot, right? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Nah, behind the behind the dance studio, <laughs> just massive deforestation. <laughs> Oh, you know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Of course, some trees, baby. And uh, it made me think, okay, what is like the chillest, dankest, most smokable game of all time? Jet Set Radio. Is it really? Yeah, dude, that's that's like a gnarly sativa. It's got like a nice citrus hit to it and just heady rush. And you want to get out there, you want to fucking grind some rails and spray some cops, dude. <laughs> dude. Knock yeah. them on their ass and... Take a big old and puff. Hit a grass, baby. Yes. On their ass with the grass. <laughs> I don't know, man. I th- that game's kind of hectic. Doesn't doesn't scream it's wild to me. Well, no, like it's a it's a sativa, like I said. So but if you're if you're going like into couch, like straight couch, couch lock coma. indica, I'm thinking maybe um I don't know, maybe like uh Abzu would be a good one like a recent one yeah journey yeah something journey. that will take you on a journey yeah journey yeah. would kind of be a mind trip though like if you if you were completely baked alaska when that game first came out <laughs> and you experienced the twist at the end of it while in a clam would... bake situation that might have been too much no totally i would say i, I would say that journey is more uh like some blue brews and shroomers mm-hmm. like that's a trip you know and you're crying at the end but it's a good cry, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would think that something that would be super chill would be like a, a strategy game that doesn't have war in it. It, it mm-hmm. You don't have to take over any other countries. You just kind of build your kingdom and maybe your subjects will come talk to you, And but they only have nice things to say because everything is fine. They're very bountiful harvests. Something nice, like that. I don't, I don't know if that exists. Maybe Age of Empires on super easy mode. I think the indie scene is working on 30 games exactly like that right now. Yeah, and they'll all be mobile games. They'll just be clickers. They'll be so cute, though. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Pastel time. colors. Yeah, I'm going to love it. Uh, okay, so into the real shit. Full disclosure and uh, not the good kind of full disclosure uh, where the government's going to tell us about the shit they shot down in the 50s, what they right. actually shot down in the 50s. That's the good full disclosure. This Waiting is the bad the full thing. disclosure. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be lots of spoilers for Westworld in this episode because that's what we're talking about is Westworld. Yeah. So this up, till, episode, up till su- Sunday. Uh, up till, yes, up to this past Sunday, see, uh, episode, episode three, three of season two. <clears throat> um, and there'll probably be stuff that we'll talk about from season one. It's going to be across the board. So that might not be of interest to you. If you uh, don't want to hear those spoilers, just skip ahead right to the end and hear our uh, goodbyes and Nick's critiques. See ya.
Um, it just I, I I saw a date or a game night last night. It's a really good movie. Oh shit! Do you have yeah. uh, anything else to share uh, on that movie? Uh, a lot of fun. Extremely well edited. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, the cinematography was really cool too. It was just a really a really fun balance of action and comedy. Did you go see it in uh, theaters? I didn't. Home home viewing, home theater yeah. viewing. Yeah. Good movie. Good I liked movie. it a lot. I, I, Jason I, I want to see that. Yeah. Rachel Jason McAdams is really pulling through on that one. You know, she carried pretty, it. Oh yeah, you know, I, Rachel McAdams famously of Red Eye. Red Eye, classic. <laughs> I, dude, Red Eye. Wow, haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> that kind of made Cillian Murphy's career, I'd say. It did. Yeah, I mean, Twenty Eight Days Later was like his breakout in America, I, would, I think. But like. You know, you don't really look at anybody in that movie as like a star. No, Cillian Murphy is bad guy though. That's something else. Red Eye, proto Scarecrow, stands the test of time. Red Eye is probably what got him the Scarecrow job. I would say so. Yeah, That's and I'm same like character. As an aside, I fucking love confined space thrillers. Panic Room, Fuck, Red man, Eye, good. Yep, mm-hmm. Phone Booth. Even I'm gonna say it. Kiefer Sutherland is bad guy on phone. Mm, bad guy yeah. mm-hmm. what was the one with uh ryan reynolds was, where he was buried alive in the coffin oh, i think it was just called buried uh mm-hmm. yeah that was a On real nose, fucking but... bummer of a movie man <laughs> uh cool movie though neat neat like shot of the grave yeah was it a it wasn't a glass coffin though right it was just like they had an overhead shot yeah, they had a series of, I mean, like, it's only so much you can shoot inside of a fucking coffin. But, yeah. yeah, they had, like, a cool, like, set design of him laying at the bottom of this really deep dirt grave that had forced perspective on it. It was fucking tight. Yeah, that was really cool. What what are, what would be uh, another um, contained thriller? Where, where can they put someone that they haven't put someone yet? Uh, There's a really good one called Tape, starring um, Uma Thurman and um, I think... Uh, Fuck! What's the guy from that? Uh, from Boyhood, and uh, like oh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, Ethan Hawke. I think he's in it too. Okay. It's a, and there's a third person, and there's like some revelations about a relationship and stuff like that, and all takes place in a hotel room. Real good. Okay, so in that okay, so confined thriller. It could be any room. It could be mm-hmm. any just one one place for the whole movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, there's more. I just, maybe maybe they could head. do uh, a treehouse or someone stuck in a tree. Stuck in a tree. I'd be into that. I mostly like, I like when there's, there's some secret shit happening, you know, and the space has some secrets. To, there's a recent one called 10 by 10 um, starring, uh, I don't know any of the people in that movie. Okay. But uh, yeah, this guy kidnaps this woman, puts her in a secret room and then starts grilling her and some shit. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. Saw style. Something might have happened. I don't know. Not not torturous, but uh, yeah, little 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 weird, little little weird, uh, little weird, uh, <laughs> little weird, little weird, little weird. <laughs> Man, when Cisco and Ebert would review movies, and then one of them would short out and just go, little weird, little weird, little weird. Yeah, you gotta reset him. He's having a weird reverie. He was a fucking host, dude. <laughs> Wait, who was the host? Was it Cisco or Ebert? It was Cisco. Cisco. No, it was Cisco. The host man. Yeah. Westworld. Uh, so when this shit uh premiered like two, was it two years ago, right? 2016. 
came out. I guess so, yeah. Must have been late 2016. Did you uh, see the original Westworld movie prior to this? No. I'm familiar with it, but I yeah. haven't seen it. Um, when I was uh, in high school, I had a fucking love affair with Crichton books. Like It was all oh. I read. I've read every Michael Crichton book. I guess it's something that one does in life is you could either go down two paths. You either read every single Crichton book or you don't because everyone I I talk to that reads Crichton or has read Crichton, like Mm kind of, it's kind of like the Stephen King effect where if you Mm -hmm. read one and you like it, you'll read the next one and then you'll just read the next one because they're so easy to, to read. They're easily digestible and they're interesting and fun. They're fun reads. Um, so I went through this huge Crichton phase where I was jamming through all of his, his works. And, um, and through that, I realized he had made, uh, he had wrote and directed a film uh, called Westworld mm-hmm. uh, in the late, I think it came out in 79. 79? Yeah. So late seventies, mm-hmm. um, right when science fiction was fucking killing it, dude. Mm-hmm. Late seventies, early eighties, sci-fi mm-hmm. cream of the crop. That's right. Best That's stuff right. ever. And uh, so he he directed this movie called Westworld. We all know the story now. The original movie follows a very similar structure to season one of Westworld in which uh, a virus is spread throughout the hosts of of Westworld and they turn on their human guests. Um, Yul Brynner, great actor. Mm -hmm. Great in that movie. Plays the, the villain, the gunslinger. Nice. Uh, very, very good performance by an actor. I recommend anyone to watch that movie just because it's a good movie, but particularly Yul Brynner's performance in that. Very, very good. And he's super creepy. He looks like a robot, actually, with his bald-ass head and his beady eyes. <laughs> he straight up looks like this good casting. He looks like a like an android. You know, none none of the actors uh, in or actresses in, in this incarnation of Westworld look like robots, but they actually did make some of them kind of look robotic and they they moved like robotics or robots in in the the westworld movie right Mm. it had that like stiff leg walk it's kind of silly Mm -hmm. thinking back on it when you see it um but you know they didn't know better they didn't realize that people could be cyborgs so they had no idea yeah uh so yeah i had that prior like knowledge and experience going into season one of westworld so i I knew that this was going to be a completely different um, telling of that story. And it is pretty much. There's a lot of similarities and it's at its core still the same story, but uh, very, very different take as, uh, that Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy have on, on Westworld. Um, so quick thoughts on season one. Where did you where did you feel at the end of uh, what, what were you feeling at the end of season one? Uh, I was I was very pleased with the finale of season one. Um, I very much like I very much liked the uh, Man in Black's exploration of the maze that exists within Westworld mm-hmm. and uh, his persistence on breaking the storyline uh, in order to find the secrets. Uh, I like that kind of thing a lot. Yeah, and I was interested in seeing where. It would go from the uprising. Can we agree right now that Ed Harris as the man in black as older William is the best acting performance in, in all of the Westworld show so far? Uh, I yeah, I think him and Jeffrey Wright are 
on par. I think I prefer Ed Harris just because Jeffrey Wright's nervousness kind of gets on me sometimes. Yeah, but especially uh, in season two so far. Yeah, it's it's a little over the top in season two, but uh, yeah, Ed Harris is is very much. He reminds me very much of the same performance from um, uh, A History of Violence. Yes, totally. Uh, which I also very much enjoyed, but I think I just film. like Ed Harris a lot. So I think that's probably what. Like seeing that movie, I realized Ed Harris can fucking kill it in a movie and really carry shit. Mm-hmm. And then once Westworld started and you get like a couple episodes deep of it, you're like, wow, man, like this is a goddamn good actor right here. Yeah. And then lastly, I want to say Evan Rachel Wood. Is her first name Evan? Is yes, that right? That's right. Yeah. Her pronunciation when she's full Dolores is so strange. I fucking love it. It's so precise and alien it sounds it sounds like altered i think that that's super on point like when she when she's being sat down by um by jeffrey wright to have those interviews right so she when she's in her pure robotic like not awake her 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 unfunctioning mind phase where she's just answering because she's being told to that shit sounds like like uh altered it sounds so good that's my opinion but yeah, dude, I think that out of all the storylines from, from the first season that were going on, the Man in Blacks was the one that I enjoyed the most. Um, yeah. And I, I, I once, once he realized at the end of season one that the maze wasn't made for him, mm-hmm. that it was for, it's for the host. Uh, the maze was built by Arnold as a way for the host to wake up into self-awareness, right? Okay. And once he realizes at the end of season one that the maze is not for him, that it's for the host, right, to to wake up uh, and that he's been following something that isn't going to lead him to his answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, man, okay, so he's here now. He didn't get his answer. Where is that going to take him? Because he's been driven so much through this first season seeking this answer. Right. And now that he's there but it's not the answer he wants or isn't an answer for him. Where can they take this character? Mm -hmm. And so far in season two, he's been given a new objective, Mm -hmm. which is to find the door. Mm -hmm. Robert Ford straight. So, okay, that's going to derail me for a second, but I feel like it needs to be said. And maybe you have an answer for me because I don't right now. Okay. How the fuck is Robert Ford speaking through all these other hosts? He speaks through the younger version of himself, and then he speaks mm-hmm. through the El Lazo character that is mm-hmm. now in a new host body. It used to be Lawrence, which is no longer Lawrence. It's now a new El Lazo. And it's Gus from Breaking Bad, right? Yeah, yeah. The guy who yeah. played Gus. Short scene was... with him where he's playing yeah. a new version of El Lazo, which was a character from the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and how? so how is Robert Ford speaking through these other hosts there it's like it's seems like it could be pre-recorded or is it it literally his consciousness it's now bouncing from host to host yeah i don't know man i mean like they showed his dead body on on the stage rotting yes uh to communicate i presume to communicate to us that that was absolutely like a human body not a host body oh it looked human as fuck like there was maggots crawling out of his head yeah, and I I presume that in Westworld maggots don't grow on host like flesh. So no, yeah, yeah, I think that was supposed to communicate to us that Robert Ford is, is fucking dead. Yeah, 
So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how he's communicating to him. Yeah, maybe he must he must have like created an AI version of himself that had the goal of of subtly guiding AI and also anticipating um Ed Harris's character in advance. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a lot of questions and that's what I noticed right off the bat in season 2 where we are now is that um much like throughout season 1 we're asking questions of mm-hmm. about the world that we're that we're viewing uh from an outside perspective. Right. And I notice a lot of the questions I feel like I'm asking myself as a viewer um aren't necessarily fun questions or interesting questions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of why it, is this happening now? It seems like it's a it's breaking the rules of the show. Like that, for example, and then with Maeve as a character herself seems to be breaking rules. Well, here let's set that show. let's set that aside for a minute. Okay. Um, what 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 more do we do? You have to say about the trajectory of season one versus the trajectory of season two. It's a good question. I think that. Throughout season one, um, they were teaching us, the show was showing us through the characters' eyes and, and through their stories um, what it meant to to be alive, what, mm-hmm. what, what it meant to be conscious. Mm-hmm. And so far in season two, the trajectory of like the emotional tone seems to be not just what it means to be alive, but... Uh, how it feels to be alive, like emotion itself, like mm-hmm. how things feel, um, and that's a that's a very different uh, pattern to get used to with, with the characters. Right. Yeah, I feel like there was there was also more in season one that was uncertain about whether or not the robot the the hosts could uh, emulate human emotion and experience closely enough for us to care about them and it concluded with yes they can we we are supposed to care about them they're effectively human um so now they're experiencing feelings that um are as humans explainable by instinct but as hosts are explainable by programming and um in in their experiences being drawn so for example Maeve is drawn to her child from a previous storyline right and that's her MacGuffin for this season that's she's going to find the child and then um Dolores is confronted with her like abused and damaged father host um in the middle of that battle in episode three and she experiences intense emotion protecting him wanting to heal him as a as a daughter Right, but both Maven and and Dolores are conscious to the nature of the simulation that these are hosts that were just assigned to them by a writer. They're not actually their birth child or or birth father. They've just been written to their lives by an external factor or an external figure. Um, Yet they're sticking to those emotions. Yeah, and like in in you know human life, we we have instinctive uh, instincts to protect our children, and we have instincts to protect our parents, and you know our our, our lives can deviate in ways that 
damage those instincts or inter, in, like interfere with those instincts or change the way that we feel about those instincts. But that's all explainable. Um, Maeve is confronted by the author of her storyline saying like, you're not supposed to care about that character anymore. And she's like, well, I fucking do. And um, I, I don't really understand that because Maeve is like the nihilist of the show. Like she concluded quote that nothing, none of this matters. Right. Right. And yet, and yet she's pursuing a child from a different storyline for no particular reason. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, so Maeve at the end of season one, realizes that she was programmed to set off that revolution and escape as mm -hmm. as a plan by Ford to distract enough that Dolores can set up the uh, massacre that takes place at the end of season one and kills mm -hmm. Ford. Mm -hmm. Ford. Ford himself programmed Maeve to have her reveries, to remember her past lives, and to wake up in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why at the end of season one, when we see Maeve about to board the train, which is part of her programming, mm -hmm. she, she decides not to. Mm -hmm. And that is truly when Maeve wakes up because everything that you're seeing at the end of season one, where she's setting off this, the revolution inside the, the control rooms, um, central command, when she's waking up the other hosts to fight for her and kill all the other humans there, um, that was all programmed. And she thinks she's mm -hmm. awake for it. She thinks that she's in control when really she's following her programming. But once she gets to that end stage, which is to escape and infiltrate the mainland, um, she decides not to. And she goes for her daughter, which is breaking her programming. And, and so maybe now Maeve's draw to wanting to reunite with her daughter, which really isn't her daughter, it was written to be her daughter, is that at some level she feels like she is at her most in control at her most pure self that she has now her self-awareness so she's seeking purpose effectively yes uh, or assigning herself a purpose right because that is shown by her not choosing to run to flee which was you know part of her program which they they mentioned multiple times uh by her going for her daughter it seems like that's giving her that extra purpose that she didn't have before that, that it's breaking the programming. So I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like her decision to, uh, seek her daughter from the previous storyline, who she has no real reason to care about. And she doesn't actually care about it. She just has these reveries of a previous storyline, um, and acknowledges what they are and understands that this is, a programmatic experience that I'm remembering and yet she's following on that, you know, programmatic instinct, quote unquote, anyway. Um, it seems, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's the commentary that we're going to find is that pursuing instinct in, in, in spite of logic or reason is the human experience in a way. Uh, I mean, like people throw themselves in front of trains to push their kids out of the way of them. It's, you know, in, in, the, in like a fantasy scenario that right. is exemplary of like being a parent. Yeah. Um, you know, people do unreasonable things to protect people or uh, or pursue their instincts. Um, maybe that's the commentary. It just feels like my my attempt to make sense of it is me trying to force good writing on otherwise clumsy writing. 
And the same is true of Dolores. Like Dolores is just as nihilistic as Maeve. She she has a purpose. She wants to destroy the whole fucking thing. Yeah, she wants or at to least burn she wants to just, Yeah, um, and so her like being thrust into a scenario where she's confronted with a father from a previous storyline and caring for that figure like she's not in a position like Maeve where she has the time and knowledge and deliberation to decide to care about her dad she just suddenly does and um but even so like she's technically like the most advanced host that we have so we have to assume that she has the most um like for lack of a better term, like processing power capable to reason that this is not actually her dad, mm-hmm. but she still wants to, she still decides to protect them anyway. And it's like, well, why? Yeah, that's a good know. question. And it, it, I don't know if the writers are going to be able to answer it. Um, right now, you had another it seems question like... earlier too, right? Um, about Maeve, I think it was. Um, well, so, well, one of my questions regarding Maeve is that, Along with Dolores, they, they've developed the ability to control other hosts, right? Right. Uh, so Dolores, what what we've seen so far, has the ability to command hosts in a way that she's kind of, it's almost like a hive mind situation, right? And she even develops mm-hmm. now a band of followers that she calls the Horde. She She's telling Teddy, go gather the Horde, get the Horde going. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they look like they function like a Horde. They wear these black masks and they're nameless. They're faceless. They're completely under Dolores's command. Right. But right. we've also seen that she lacks the ability to fully command other hosts when she um, meets with the Confederados the first time. She, she doesn't have the ability to control hosts completely at this time mm-hmm. um, telepathically or whatever the fuck she's doing it, you know? Um, right. And Maeve we've seen can also do that. She has the ability to turn off hosts by um, using the voice commands. Or just when, reprogram them. Right. Uh, my, my, one of my questions right now regarding Maeve is, what is her level of ability to control the people that she's using to help her? Um, so she's on her own journey right now in season two to find her daughter, and she, with her she has Hector, and she also just um, gained Armistice back who was one of the other hosts in Hector's band of bandits. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, at the end of season one, programmed them to follow her in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, w- with her feelings for Hector and what Hector feels for her, is that is there any reality to that, or is that all programming? Do you think Maeve actually loves Hector? Well, it's like it's the same it's the same principles that are being applied to why she cares about her daughter from another storyline, like love and the instinct to protect your family. These are unreasonable feelings. Yeah. I just, I mean, we even see in season three, episode three or season two, episode three, where, uh, Lee, the guy that they're traveling with the, um, narrative lead Mm -hmm. wrote all the, the, uh, most of the narratives for, for Westworld. Um, he even calls him out on it. He's like, you guys aren't supposed to be in love. I didn't write you to be that way. Hector's supposed to love this other host, and yet they are in love. Right. And then Hector goes off on this little speech, and then Lee calls him out on it and recognize it as stuff he, he wrote, as that stuff Lee wrote. And then 
him and Maeve, uh, Lee and Maeve share a knowing look that maybe Hector or, you know, Hector is still just following old programming with his love Mm. for Maeve. Did you read that into that? Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the storyline author character is, is I think a little on the nose and how he communicates the themes of this season. Like you're not supposed to feel that. And yet you do. I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about is, uh, instinct and love are unreasonable feelings and they fall under the same like general uh, concept of things that we pursue in spite of our lo- in spite of our reasoning and logic around those things. You know, mm-hmm. you can think through these things, but you still feel them anyway. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, are they, are they, they're feeling it in spite of their programming. I think we're going to find out why eventually, but um it's clear that we're supposed to be aware of that dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. They're making it painfully obvious as of the latest episode. Right. Um, so for the, as for the structure of season two, uh, obviously they can't pull off what they did in season one. It is a nonlinear narrative Mm -hmm. as with season one, where in season one, we weren't really sure what the uh, timelines were until the big reveal that there was a 30 year gap in between young William, young William is men in black, men in black, the man in black. <laughs> and, um, and now they, they, they can't really do that again. And they're not doing that. Um, instead of using deception and ed- editing tricks like they did with the first season, they've explicitly told us in season two, what the timeline difference is, um, mm-hmm. where, there's a two week gap that we're seeing scenes from uh, right after the massacre at the end of season Mm -hmm. one. And then two weeks after with Bernard waking up on a beach. Um, Do you feel like that the showrunners approach to that nonlinear timeline uh, storytelling is as, is successful as it was in the first season? No, it feels, it feels confusing, honestly. Um, there are too many similarities uh, specifically in how everyone's dressed uh, because of the nature of the conflict. Like uh, uh, Jeffrey Wright's character, what's his name again? Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. He, you know, he was uh, him and, and the other people who are at the, uh, who are in the midst of the original uprising, uprising. They haven't changed no. since then. Yeah. So I can't, I can't really tell immediately where things are taking place and i think that that's purposeful on the parts of the showrunners that like i'm i'm supposed to be confused sometimes um but i don't think and if if it's if if i'm not supposed to be confused then i feel like they're failing because i'm trying i'm paying attention and i'm still i'm still kind of at a loss as to when things are taking place sometimes yeah and i see that as a problem right now because not only do I feel the same way, but most people I talk to that watch the show are getting confused yeah. in each episode of of where things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in season one, it didn't really matter because there right. wasn't we didn't under, there was no knowledge that things were happening on different timelines because that was part of the mystery of it. Well, you yeah. get hints at it. Dolores would have these flashback scenes you knew something wasn't right. You knew that there was an order of things that you weren't understanding, but you, you weren't mad about it. You weren't frustrated or confused by it. You wanted to understand it. And that's what like fueled 
so much discussion with the first season and theory crafting and the subreddit itself was was started then and so many people got involved with uncovering the mysteries of season one the whole um william man in black trended on twitter like weeks before it was actually was revealed to be true Mm -hmm. um fans of the show figured out most of the the spoilers from season one before unknowingly just as theories you know but that can happen that's a problem yeah um all right um and w- with season two, it seems like most of the discussion I'm seeing from from people close to me, as well as the more general discussion, is that uh, it's just a lot of confusion a lot of the times. Yeah. Um. So I, I yeah I think that they're they've kind of hit a sandbag here with season two so far. I think that I mean the initial season was very much about exploring recursion because the whole thing is about a like i don't know how long you're in the park but you're in the park for from beginning to end and then your time is over and then you leave the park and that that time frame that you experience is generally shared for everybody no matter where they no matter what you know where they jump in at, like in, in entering the park right there mm-hmm. you're experiencing a specific timeline every time and so like this notion of there being uh something solvable within like a Groundhog Day Groundhog Day scenario is interesting and cool on its own. And it was very much about that anyway, for at least for the man in black figure. Yeah. So like to see these people experiencing the same thing over and over and over again, both hosts and guests alike, that was fine. But like now there is no storyline that people are like recursively experiencing as far as we know as viewers. Um, So the fact that like, there is like a distinct time frame in which these things are happening that is removed from a storyline within the park itself. Like you can't be, you can't be like vague about when things are happening any longer. Or if you are, you're just, you're just being coy on purpose. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just complicated for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you think, so with the characters right now in season two, the storylines have phased out. We're in, we're, We've just seen episode three. Uh, mm-hmm. We know pretty much the storylines. We have uh, older William, Man in Black, now searching for the door. We have Bernard in two different timelines, sorting shit out and being shaky and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlotte is involved in that too, but she's kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. And we have Dolores, who is leading her band of um, hive mind, horde. She's leading her horde to the glory mm-hmm. uh and then um we have Maeve also looking for her daughter so and, and teddy mentions this in i think episode two he says um uh when dolores is speaking about glory the glory to him in the valley beyond he, he says something like um it seems like everyone's got a different word for that but everyone's going there mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty on the nose of what of on the nose way of saying that that's where this season is going to conclude at, right. at this part of Westworld area of the park um, that we haven't seen yet. William at one point, uh, older William says something like, uh, we have to go to the, the place that I built. It was my worst mistake or my biggest right. mistake. Um, wh- what do you think that is? 
have no idea. I don't know. I don't know that they really seeded what it is. I mean, Dolores says that it's a weapon and mm-hmm. she's going to use it to kill everybody. Do you think it is, and this is what I've seen floated around a lot theory-wise, is that it is uh, Delos's operation center where they're storing all of the data on all the guests that have come into Westworld because that's been a major plot point so far in season two is that Delos original real plan for Westworld was to gather data on all of the rich and powerful people that would come to Westworld or come to their parks and they would use that data potentially to blackmail extort. Oh, I thought they were going to sell that data like Silicon Valley style. Yeah. You Just would capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's now that we've been introduced to Papa Delos, Delos mm-hmm. senior, and mm-hmm. we have to understand what his motives were. And what we see in episode two of season three that he is struggling with potentially some sort of illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mention of that at his graduation or not he, graduation. He coughs yeah, quietly. He coughs quietly. Uh, but he also mentions that um, I said graduation, but I meant fucking retirement. It's either one or the <laughs> other, right? Um, yes. So at his retirement, he like coughs quietly, right? But he also says something like um, not all of us have the same amount of time. Right, and he is old. He's an older man. He just retired. Yeah. Uh, so I think it could go either two, one of two ways, and this is just my my brain thinking about it. Uh huh. I think at the end it is going to be a weapon of truth, right? That Dolores can show the world what all the fuck fucking crazy shit people did to the hosts at Westworld and all the different parks, mm-hmm. expose people on a massive scale, and perhaps throw the world into some sort of chaos. I don't know if it would work that way. I mean, we haven't right. seen, we don't know what the outside world is. In, in, Fair in enough, yeah. Uh, we don't know how it's run. We don't know how many governments there are, what countries are left. Maybe there has been a giant war at one point that wiped out half the earth. We don't know. We have no idea mm-hmm. what the outside world is. We get a glimpse of it in, when Bernard is walking through what looks like China with Dolores at one point. Um, but we have well, no... several parties. True, too, right? yeah. There, there are several party scenes uh, but we really beyond that don't know what full scale what the world looks like outside of what's no. um so maybe that type of truth bomb that could be deployed from that delos data center would throw that world into some sort of crazy upheaval and start wars and would give dolores and her host the uh her cyborg army the opportunity to overthrow um I also think there there's a potential for them to have developed some sort of uh, technology in which they could put a human mind into a host body so they could potentially live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that Robert Ford has maybe had the ability to do that, uh, which I mentioned earlier in this episode. Right. Um, and I think that maybe that's the technology that James Delos, Papa Delos was interested in, in, in crafting. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wanted to be put into a host body. Maybe, maybe he was uh, in Peter Abernathy's, Abernathy's body the whole time. Dolores is dad. Okay. okay. I don't know. That's what I've been thinking. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't know that the like truth bomb theory works for me because I don't know that. I don't know. I think, given the way that the world 
actually is. I don't think that people would give a fuck if rich people were killing robots. <laughs> yeah. Or, or raping them or doing anything horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the data collection as being... I, n- I didn't see it as blackmail. It's an interesting way to look at it, given the like sinister nature of the people involved. Yeah, just the way they spoke about it. It seemed like that was what was on their mind, was wanting to blackmail world leaders and shit. Fair enough, yeah. I, I also see, like... But also, like, I'm I'm conscious of the data collection that happens to me oh yeah as like you know a citizen of the existing world and like i feel that data collection generally in and of itself for advertising purposes or or just like as a means to aggregate and then figure out what to do with it later is sinister on on its own accord like you don't have to actually like do anything with that data for me to be grossed out by the fact that you're doing it Mm -hmm. um so i saw like that data collection of of hosts as being like a possible means to advertise or or however one like however whatever purpose data serves in that future like generally they would do that with it sure i mean nonetheless whatever the purpose was absolutely valuable yeah um i like i i also i buy into the notion that someone robert ford's perhaps has figured out how to translate human uh like human brains into ai we got to see a host brain for the first time this season yeah they're kind of egg yeah that's not what i was like weird light bulb or something (laughs) it's yeah it's covered in goop (laughs) bernard even has to inject that brain goop into his head see oh yeah that's right because he's leaking or something right out of his ear dude he, he bernard was one of the strongest characters in season one and i just I'm so like disinterested right now with his character in season two. Yeah, I, mean, I like the flashback scenes, but right now where he's at, he's like so broken and and so I don't know. There's something about him that's just yeah. He's satisfying. well, he's only got one state, which is nervous, and uh, it's not very interesting right now. Like he's not he doesn't shift out of nervousness. He's just perpetually in nervousness, and mm-hmm. it's a little little overwhelming as an aside like jeffrey wright is in game night and he's only in it for like three minutes collectively but like his one his one scene is so fucking good really (laughs) yeah he's like the highlight performance of that movie wow he's a tremendous actor i i love jeffrey wright he's really 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 good at what he does and in season one he was fucking good yeah absolutely absolutely and Uh, now yeah the effects of season one have like left him in like a single state. <laughs> yes. Completely just shattered and nervous, as you say. Um, we also got to see in this latest episode, the first, uh, uh, well, we, it's our first glimpse at another park. We mm-hmm. know that there are six parks in total and that they're all connected on these Island chains. Um, mm-hmm. uh, probably one large Island, maybe, um, mm-hmm. definitely an Island though. Uh, but we got to see the first other park. Um, what, what are you, what were your thoughts on that? I thought it was fucking tight. Yeah. Uh, so we also, it was Raj World, right? Right. Which is um, British occupied India. Which is yeah. Cool. Second colonialist uh, fantasy of the six. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Jungle Cruise. Straight, dude, it was kind of Jungle Cruisey. I heard. Uh, um, People were not too happy, though, about the elephants being ridden in that 
I guess. Uh, oh yeah, it's not. It's not good for elephants. No, no. Bad news. Bad news. But they were cyborg elephants. I guess they forgot to tell. Oh right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, what what do you think the other parks are? We we definitely got Samurai World, Shogun World. You know what? As an aside, uh, there was a show called Luck, starring Justin Hoffman. I believe it was a Showtime show. Yes, about a uh, a horse race, like a, a race. It was track. all about horse racing. Yeah, it was canceled because too many fucking horses died while they were filming it. That's fucked. That's really yeah. fucked. <laughs> oh, Dustin Christ. Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman killed them. Yeah, dude. He just he he yelled them to death. <laughs> he yelled in one of his infamous rage rage <laughs> rage fits. Threw a script at him. That's yeah. fucked up. Well, good. I'm glad it got canceled. Fuck that show. If they're yeah. letting Hoffman near the horses, he never let him near the horses. Those elephants better be okay. Or <laughs> I got a, I got a word or two for them. Yeah, I love uh, it. So fucking Island Island Nublar over here. Ooh, Maybe you, you like that? You like uh, that? Shit. Yeah. Um, pretty cool, man. Um, the what would you? What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so we have Westworld. Yeah. We have Raj World. Yeah. We have Shogun World or Samurai World. We don't know what yeah. it's called. Mm-hmm. There's three other parks. Yeah. What do you think they are? What are What are they? We know from uh, the original movie that they have a, a Roman world and a medieval world. So those are options. And then Tomorrowland and Fantasyland. And then you're all set. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Um, okay, Roman World. That seems really gross and unpleasant. <laughs> Do you ever watch Rome, another HBO product? Mm, Fucking no. Rome is disgusting. Like it, like 11th century Rome or whatever the fuck is fucking. Well, they were into wacky shit, dude. I like. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's so hedonistic and it, which is fine for most of the time. But if you read about it or see it actually happening in front of you. It's like they're always like making each other throw up and like yeah. you know tickling each other with feathers in the throw up, just fucking murdering each other and shitting shitting wherever the fuck shit, you want. Just shitting while you walk. No, yeah. uh, no plumbing. No plumbing. No need to stop. You just do it as you walk down the street. The streets Ugh. were paved with fecal matter. Back in oh, Rome. Um. Yeah, dude. Uh. All right, I, I buy. There's a Rome, and then what's the other one you said? Victorian, probably. Medieval. Medieval. Okay. Jackson, that sounds Game of Thrones world. All right. Um, and then I would I would wager that there is a future one. Future. I don't know world. why. Yeah, I think there's a future world. Um, uh, there should be a, you know what, Michael Crichton, there should be a fucking dinosaur hunting world, man. There should be full. Dude, okay. Okay. Yeah, they should, they should have just made uh, all the islands based on different Crichton works. They would have had Westworld. Mm-hmm. They could have had Congo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just a bunch of crazy apes. Yeah. Um, then you could have Jurassic Park World. Jurassic mm-hmm. World. So that's three right there. Right. Four. Uh, I could do Rising Sun. So you got Timeline. Timeline World. Right, which is medieval world. Medieval. Mm-hmm. Um, Rising Sun, so Samurai World. Um, fucking, you got. What else do you got? He uh, wrote um, the Terminal wrote, Man. You can have the Terminal Man world. Okay, where you're scientists in like an underground lab. 
No, that's Andromeda Strain. So, and, well, yeah, that's strain, good too. Yeah. Andromeda Strain world prevent yeah. prevent global uh, pandemic. Yeah, um, at all costs. What about the uh, the one about genetic engineering? Mm, next, next, yeah. mm-hmm. next right? world, the next, next world, world. Mm-hmm. and the uh, nanobot know one too. Why not? Westworld is kind of like a just like mashup of all Crichton products. It kind of is. Yeah, I mean, he knew what he was doing. He said that came out in '79, so it was before a lot of his his uh, major You're works. Right. Wow. Yeah, that was after Andro- that was after Andromeda Strain, after Terminal Man, but pre Jurassic, pre Congo, pre Congo timeline. Yeah. He had yeah. some good ideas, man. I miss Crichton. Dude, yeah, Gone he was soon. a brilliant dude that was he he opened my mind my my fourth grade mind to the notion that a fiction book could have a bibliography at the end of it for jurassic park for any of his books all of his books have bibliographies oh dude he was the king of research for his books yeah all those dinosaurs you read about they're real well they were real they were real describe the real again but real nonetheless (laughs) uh yeah dude fucking doctorate Ask Michael Crichton, creator of ER. Great. Fuck, uh, he did. Oh, he had his pockets and everything. Hands in everyone's pockets, I should say. He did, yes. He had his pockets and everything. <laughs> Dude, I'm the king of misspeaking on like f- phrases and sayings. Like, I always That's fuck okay. them up somehow. Like, my, I... mind, my mind just jumbles it all together. <laughs> but it works out, too, because most people know what I'm talking about and they don't correct me. Yeah. I only corrected you because I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I shit. like I like the idea of Crichton having like a web of pockets though. He reaches like into a, his pocket, his yeah. hand comes out over here. It's like a clown's and pocket. Like, yeah. It, like he pulls out this long string. He keeps going, pulling, pulling, pulling. Each one is a different uh script. Oh shit. Oh shit. Just ideas out the wazoo. Yeah. You take him to any like reading or any executive interview with anyone Warner Brothers, Fox, whoever. Just whips out those pockets. <laughs> Dude was an idea machine. He wrote so many fucking books too. Solid guy. Solid guy. Okay, so Westworld season two, man. Um, final thoughts. Uh, I hope it gets better. Yeah. Um, season one, I really liked the the puzzle box thing of like figuring out what the park is about with the maze, figuring out what's going on with the the timeline. You know, uh, the whole ground dog day or groundhog day. Groundhog days. <laughs> yeah, you fucker. I got uh, you. You got me back. Groundhog day scenario. Uh, I mentioned this before when I was talking about um, like Tacoma a long time ago and mm-hmm. uh, another recent game uh, that I really like Sleep No More, which was a, a, a like a public play or not a public. It was a play performance that you just explore on your own and it happens three times in a row so you can go like and explore the timelines yeah uh, like at different points from different physical spaces Mm -hmm. westworld kind of explores that concept and i just really fucking like that concept uh now they don't now they're not doing that anymore with westworld so i'm not so i'm not as into the like MacGuffin. let's go get the thing especially because they can't really explain why these people want to get those things Mm -hmm. Uh, okay i got one more question for you then and we'll end on that would you have preferred they delayed the uprising and the massacre in order to explore more of the other worlds before this upheaval where it would be 
fucking tight if the whole maze scenario um, played out across all the worlds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that they had to like really, really like wind their way through. And as they were winding their way through, trying to make sense of this maze scenario, they were unveiling un unveiling more about the nature of the park. Like we could be learning about the whole like data collection, a plan while they're over in Samurai World, still trying to make sense of like yeah. the undergoings, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Introduce new characters from other worlds. Perhaps Dolores goes to Samurai World and falls in love with a young Samurai man, ditches Teddy. There was serious potential. And well, I just don't I don't think we're going to see those other parks operating. No, right? which is a shame. It's fully broken down at this point. There's no recovery. How can no you? people have died, right? Hundreds of people have perished, including they're, the guests. Yeah, they're not getting this park up and running again. We're not going to see Samurai World unless it's another like flashback, which I would be it'd be difficult for me to be engaged by that at this point. Yeah. So I yeah, I missed opportunity perhaps unable to explore these other worlds now as they were mm -hmm. and we'll only get to see them as they are now which is completely fucked it's kind of like in a uh did you ever see a uh, cabin in the woods yes kind of reminds me of a little bit of the climax cabin in the woods oh yes where you see all the other monsters just fucking going off what what could have been out of context out of context what could have been yeah exactly what could have what been? could have been that's what we feel now right now what could season have been? one was really really fucking good though it was i absolutely but one of the best things hbo has ever done what okay last question julian okay. yeah, yeah yeah what what song would you like to hear a player piano cover of oh fuck mm, i really like anything bob dylan-y that they would do on piano maybe something like um uh knocking on heaven's door or something i feel like they might have done that already but i like the piano like piano versions of knocking on heaven's door are fucking great i love that shit i think i think they could work that into the show i i've been trying to figure out what, what the song was that they have at the beginning of uh episode three the most recent episode during the when they first show raj world they have a yeah. uh composed version of a song and i Still haven't figured out what song it was. Do you remember what it was? I forgot. Fuck. All right, I got to go look it up. Uh, how about yeah. you? Do you have one in mind? Uh, I would like to hear a slow, like, to like key version of uh, Bad Religion Generator. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. While, some, while some shit's popping off. Oh, my God. That would work perfectly. Hell, yeah. I love that. All right. It's good talking to you, Nick. Peace. As always.